If you've been with us, you know that we are in a series called Long Story Short. And it's, uh, I got the title from a book uh, by Joshua McNall. And he's a, I mean, <laughs> I say a younger dude, but really he's, he's middle-aged like I am. And uh, probably a little older. But anyway, it's a fantastic book. It's actually from Seedbed Resources. So uh, if you would like to check that out, certainly you can go to Seedbed and, and grab a, one of those books. Also, if someone would remind me again to pass these out, because I'll end up forgetting. And so I do have you a card for this week. Turn with me this morning to Genesis uh, chapter 32. And then as you're there, I just want to summarize briefly what we've been doing. So we're in this series called, long story short, and it's six simple movements through the whole Bible. So when you talk about the whole Bible, some people are like, oh, it's like this groaning and gnashing of teeth. You know what I mean? Because there's certain books that are very difficult for us. Amen? Because if they aren't to you and you've read them, I need to talk with you. Uh, because either, either you're not reading them right or, or uh, you know, you, I need to gain some wisdom. So um, head back one more if you don't mind there, Margaret. Thank you. And so what we've done so far is just to look at creation in Genesis 1 and 2. All right? And then we went to the fall, which happens in Genesis 3. And that's as far as we've gotten so far. So, um, you know, in two weeks, uh, and we've got six movements here, you may be thinking again, oh boy, we're, we're, we're in for a really long one today, because really today we go from Genesis 4 all the way to Malachi 4. <laughs> um, so it's quite a big step, because you can see next week is Jesus, right? Uh, so Israel, then Jesus, then the church, then the new creation. Uh, but we're going to take sort of not even a, an airplane view of this thing, okay? We're going to do a space suit sort of look down onto the Bible and say, what really is going on in this story? All right, so, so even though we've got a lot of, I mean, a lot of room to cover here in the Bible, um, I believe we can do that in story form. And that's why this is called Long Story Short. And I like short stories, by the way. I really do. If you can get down to the, to the real brass tacks of things, distill it down to what we're really doing and what we're supposed to be about. So I pray that today we can do that. And where we're going to end up starting is with a story uh, that happened to me Thursday. I was walking out of Calhoun Community College after teaching a class on uh, the New Testament. I actually ended up giving a test. And so I was walking out after that test was over and I saw a guy walking past me, just sort of in my periphery, right? So just kind of, I was not even paying attention. And all of a sudden, his shirt caught me, and I stopped. And he noticed that I knew, noticed his shirt somehow. We both just sort of stopped, and I looked at him. I'm like, that's awesome, man. And I rarely do that kind of thing, you know. Uh, now, the kind of shirt that he had on, go ahead and flip uh, just a couple more there to the picture. It was this. I don't know, that may not mean anything to some of you, right? But all it said, all his actually said was NWO in white letters on a black shirt. I was like, bro, that is amazing. It's been decades since I've seen that. I was riding in a, in a horse and wagon, you know, last time I saw it um, kind of thing. And so I said, I said, how do you, how do you even know about NWO? You know, it's like this insider thing. I'm like, I, I'm trying to figure out where this guy even, even know. I mean, because he's a young guy, right? I mean, he's not like me. He's, he's a young guy. He has no gray hair at all. And, uh, and he said, oh, man, I love the NWO. And you're, you're probably saying, 
what in the world is the NWO and what is the new world? Is this some kind of secret society? Well, of sorts it was. It was a, started out in WWF. Do you remember this? And then the WCW. And then they, uh, they had this sort of renegade group that got together. People like Scott Steiner, Kevin Nash, uh, really cool guys. And then, um, and then Buff the Stuff, one of my favorite. You know, I mean, he was it, Buff Bagwell was actually his stage name. And, uh, and then you had Hulk Hogan. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Uh, the Giant, that was it. And then Sting joined them. And Macho Man, do you remember? Oh, yeah, you remember that? Snap into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. Anybody? No? Okay. So somebody's got to give me some love here now. Some, there's got to be some, somebody has repressed wrestling in their life. And, and, I, and I'm trying to resurge that or resurrect that in you this morning. And I, and I saw this and I thought, what in the world? That's, that's crazy that you got this shirt on, man. I was like, where'd you even get it? And he told me and all this. And it, it, was, it was kind of a neat little meeting. But then I got to thinking about Gandhi and wrestling. And, and uh, <laughs> really, unfortunately, my brother will be the only one who knows about Gandhi and wrestling because we used to call our youth pastor. His name was really John David Scott. Oh, actually, Rachel would know this as well. Um, we used to call him Gandhi. And uh, <clears throat> he didn't really look like Gandhi at all. <laughs> I mean, imagine a 300-pound man uh, that's about six, what would you say, five, four, something like that. Just a massive uh, man. Gandhi, if you've ever seen him, is shriveled up like a leaf, you know, a dead leaf. And so, but we called him Gandhi, and he, he got us into wrestling. And, and we had such good times watching wrestling, but also we attended one event where the macho man actually turned on, and it was, it was crazy. I can't, I, I can't tell it now, though. It's, it's too much. But it brings me to our story today. And I want to read it to you, because when I saw it, I already knew what I was preaching on this Sunday. And I was like, this is this is crazy stuff. And I started reading and Josh McNall, even he that's that's right where he goes. Now, I want to I want to just share it with you here. Genesis 32. Notice these words. And uh, starting with verse 22, the same night. And this is uh, what happens before this is is Esau and Jacob are about to meet. And this is not good because. Jacob's does anybody remember what Jacob means? Deceiver, heel, literally heel grabber, which became sort of a term to mean deceiver because this guy was really good at it. He had conned his brother uh, not once but twice, and his father, um, you know, because his brother was as hairy as a llama, uh, and so he basically just put on like this sheepskin. He's like, "Yeah, Dad, this is me, really," you know, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I guess so. Your back hair is pretty legit," and and so then he blesses him. I mean, if you don't know the story, you really need to read it. But he, but he feels of his back hair, and his dad can't see, right? So he's just like, yeah, yeah, I guess that is you. It doesn't sound like you, but it sure feels like you. And so I'm going to bless you. So he stole the birthright, and he stole the blessing, and then he left town. And then he got deceived, you remember, by Laban in his family. And now his brother's coming after him, and he's like, this is not good at all. He's going to kill me. I mean, this can't be, he hadn't seen him since he, you know, worked him over for those things by deception. And notice what happens. The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children. You thought I had a lot of children, see? And crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. What a nice man. He puts all his family and possessions on the other side so that Esau will have to plow through all of that until he gets to him. <laughs> and then cross the I mean, this is not a good guy. 
This is a guy that thinks of himself first and others later. And he was alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven, wrestled, struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, quote, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his help. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Jesus, help us understand your word. Help us to see your big picture, your big story for us. And then draw us into that story, Lord. For it is your story that we want to be a part of, not our own. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have you noticed in the Bible there's a lot of wrestling with God? People wrestle to do the right thing. It's not just in the Bible. It's in your life as well. In a sense, we're all wrestlers. Just like back in the day as I watched wrestling. And everybody has these names that describe them, right? And we've been given some names, haven't we, in life? Names that are not, that we're not fond of. Names that maybe others have told us about us. Or names that we've given ourselves in coin by our actions. But no matter what, we've all had some nasty names attached to us because of some of the actions that we've done. And Jacob was no different. Jacob meant deceiver. And when people saw him coming, his name meant deceiver. And he knew himself, and he knew he was a deceiver. And that's why when he was deceived by another deceiver, it really made him mad. He left broken. And now his brother was coming, he thought, to take his life. The story ends up, they reconcile, it seems. And his life is spared. But not before he wrestles with a man. And then in the story, you notice, you don't even understand that it's God until the end. So it's just this man that comes in his tent, and they are wrestling. And I have a picture, you know, that that uh, that Margaret showed there of, of God wrestling Jacob. And it's this famous picture. And it's this famous idea. But it's us, you see. We wrestle with God. And you say, well, what's the purpose of wrestling with God? So that He might bless us. We need to wrestle with God is what I'm saying. We need to have these encounters where He comes into our tent, into our house, 
and we wrestle with him and do not let him go until he blesses us. Did you notice that Jacob prevailed? This is not a slap on the wrist. This is the way to go. In other words, at the moment of submission, though, the moment of submission, it's not God who is submitting, but rather Jacob. And it's in a subliminal way because he says, what is your name? And in the ancient world, to give someone your name, and even today in some sense, to give them your name is to give them a modicum of control over your life. This is why we're very careful about where we place our name online or signing this or signing that. Our name means something because it's us. And he says, what is your name? And he has to confess who he is. I'm a deceiver. He just simply says, Jacob, deceiver, heel grabber, wanter of my ways. And he says, no, your name is no longer Jacob but Israel. And Israel means to wrestle with God and man and prevail. And this is, this is how God chooses to save the world. It's a crazy story. Like you thought you heard some crazy stories, but you've never heard a story crazier than this. And really we have to rewind because if you don't know who Jacob is, His father is Isaac, and his father is Abraham. And, if you will, the ball of salvation that's been rolling through our world, growing and growing until it finally consumes the whole world, begins with a word to Abraham. And the kingdom has been growing from that very word and promise All he says to him is, I'm going to make you famous, Abraham. At the time, Abram. He changes his name too and his wife's name. Because God is in the business of changing names. If you have a label that's been put on you, if you think, oh yeah, I'm just this, or I always get angry about this and that's just who I am, or I always have this problem. No. No. If you are willing to confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just like taking a bath. Both of those movements must occur in our lives. Not just forgiveness, but cleansing. And then we get a new label, child of God. Son of God. Daughter of the King. That's a good label in anybody's story. This is what he's doing. This is what he's starting. You know, he could have chosen, couldn't he? A nation already in existence. But instead, he calls one that doesn't exist into existence by his word. Sound familiar? just as creation was called into existence by His Word, now He calls into existence a nation, Israel. Wrestler. And they will wrestle with God. And they will struggle with God to go His way, to do right in the world. It doesn't come naturally. And it's good to wrestle Ever since we took that first bite, we've been wrestling with God. 
He calls a nation out of nothing through His Word to Abraham. And we today are still a part of what the Bible says is a new Israel. This is Paul's language in Romans 9. Really, 9 through 11 is sort of a a dissertation, if you will, on that very topic. We now are God's elect people, the church. And he calls us (laughs) his own. And that means something when someone calls you theirs. You know, if somebody else's kid is messing up, I'm not really one, unless it's in my own house or in my yard, or in my truck, or on my person. I'm not just going to call somebody out, right? Like somebody else's kid, you know what I mean? I mean, that's your job, not my job. But my kid, oh, I'm going to call them out. I'm going to call them out because they belong to me. And that means something. It means something to be a dag. And I make sure that they are reminded of that often. And often do they need that reminder. And this is what we get, is it not? All throughout the pages of the Old Testament is reminder after reminder. You are mine. Deviate. You are mine. Deviate. Find a new way to deviate. You are mine. Find a new way to mess up their life. You are mine. Come back home. This is the language of the Old Testament. It's quite surprising, really. Just like that serpent was surprising to find in Genesis 3, so too God's plan of salvation seems a bit odd. Think of it. God doesn't choose a politician to save the world. That's what we would do. We'd be campaigning, giving our money, and voting to try to save the world. And we often do think that saves the world. It never does. Or we think the celebrities know. They know. They're the ones who are on TV, after all. They look like they have it together. But God doesn't call a celebrity, does He? Maybe it's superhuman powers and superheroes and mutants and so on and so forth that save the world because in all of the cartoons I watch with my kids, that's what saves the world. But God doesn't call, does He, superheroes. Instead, God calls a geriatric couple that is barren in their late 80s and says, I want you to go and leave your home. Now, if you know anything about older people, and I've got older grandparents, they like to be home. And they don't like to have to move. I mean, you know, you know, Jessica and I are bouncing all over the place and everything. And, but, but when we go to Mississippi and, and we're with grandparents, it's this calming effect. It's like our life slows down. We're always thinking when we leave and go back to the busyness of our life, it's like, what, how, why is it slower? Because they don't leave home. They don't like to leave home. And now they're told to go. Go away from your land. Literally, out of your father's tent, Abraham. You're in your 80s, man. You see, you thought millennials were bad. He's still living in his father's tent. And God says, go. 
go. Doesn't God tell us to go? We've built these things too. We have our comforts too. And he says, go, leave them and follow me. Was that not our reading this morning? I didn't design that. They left everything to follow him. Are you willing to do that? To leave it all. Just lock the door. Or, you know what? Unlock the door and leave it for somebody else and go. God calls Abraham. And Abraham says, yes. And Abraham will become, in the New Testament, the epitome of what it means to have faith. He will be the premier example of faith. Why? Why not Moses? Why not Isaiah? Why not Jeremiah or Ezekiel or any of the 12? Why Abraham? Because Abraham has nothing but a word from God. That's it. He has no temple. He has no sacrificial uh, system. He has no priests. He has no Levites. He has no tribes. He has no family. He has no kids and no scriptures. He just has a word from God. And the Bible says that when he believed that word, it was accounted to him as righteousness. And that's the same type of faith, notice, that saves us today. It's not the faith, it's not faith in things. It's not even faith in people or the pastoral system or the church programs or discipleship or books or the, it is a word from God. Have you heard a word from God? I did. February 28, 1999. And that word is still ringing true in my heart today just as passionately as it was on that very night because that was a word from God. Now, that doesn't happen every day. Let me just tell you, I wouldn't be able to take it. Seriously. But he gave me a word, and I did not reject that word. And I stand before you today because of that word. And I've sought God for other words in my life. At times, even recently, last September 2018, at New Room in Nashville, I said, Lord, I need a word. And he gave me a word to a woman that was praying over me as I was bowed down on the floor, prostrate, praying. And she, had, she didn't know me from Adam. I never even saw her face, actually. I just saw her feet. I never looked up. And she prayed over me. And God, in that moment, spoke to me. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even what she said. It was that God spoke to me almost while she was speaking. It was, it was, you know, anyway, it was an impression. And basically what he said was, uh, there is no marshal without knowing me. Which my life verse that came to me on February 28th was, for this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. 
In other words, God was saying to me in that moment, don't ever leave your first love. In other words, we started out this thing, didn't we? With knowing me. Isn't it still about that? It never, ever changes. That is eternal life, is knowing the living God. If you're doing something else, you're wrong. It's the wrong way. You may even be speeding, and people be impressed by the rate at which you're moving about life. But if you're going in the wrong direction, what is it worth? Doesn't the end game matter? You see, in God's plan, He knows a politician isn't going to save the world or a celebrity or a superhero. Instead, He calls the weak among us. Why? Because the majority of people in the world overwhelmingly, 100% are weak and needy. We all come out unable to do the most basic things. Trust me, it frustrates you as a parent. Why can't you sleep? Why can't you use the bathroom properly? It sounds like I'm in a yelling tone. Most of the time I am. Well, if it's about walking with God and knowing God, why all the laws? Right? I mean, a huge bulk of the Bible, isn't it? Talks about laws and then then disobeying law. Like once they get the law, then they disobey the law constantly and forget and so on and so forth. And then they get put into exile. You know, 11 of the tribes lost forever. Only one tribe remaining, the tribe of Judah. Which incidentally is the one that Jesus comes from because there's only one left on the face of the earth. The rest have been erased because of their disobedience. Is God some kind of hungry legalist? What's going on with the 613 laws in the Old Testament? Well, the best way I know to frame it is to talk again from this space view, right? And what we see in a space view, once we accumulate all the language that the Bible gives to us about who God is, in other words, the way the Bible talks about God, what we find are three major emphases. Number one is that God is the true king of the world. And if he is the king, then that means we are his citizens. And disobedience looks like rebellion. But that's not the only image of God we get. The other portrait is Father. And if He is our Father, then we are His children. And disobedience looks like delinquency. And then there's a deeper, more intimate portrait in the language of Scripture about God, and that is, He is our husband. Even in the Old Testament, you get this, right? You remember, a whole book is dedicated to it. Do you remember what book? It's a minor prophet, Hosea. 
also Ezekiel talks extensively and very coarsely about it. If God is our husband, then we are His bride. And disobedience looks like adultery. And this is the language of the Bible. You say, okay, well, what is going on with the law then? (laughs) Well, God wants to live with us. But He doesn't want to destroy us in the process. It's like you and me, because I really do, want to go to the beach. I love the beach because I love the sun. And I love the heat. I like the water. And I like the sand. And I like the food. I like a lot there at the beach. I like my kids being a built-in babysitter's the ocean. You know what I mean? But the sun will kill you if you don't watch out. Now, it's not that the sun is angry at you, but the sun has a nature of fire and of heat. And if we do not properly approach the sun, guess what? We get burned. Anybody smell what I'm stepping in here? It's not that God is angry and he's like, I'm about to come in here and burn everybody up. It's that his nature doesn't change. And the Bible says he is a consuming fire. And yet he invites us in. Come on in. And we're a hair frolic. We're going to melt, we say. Not if you do what I say. If you do what I say, you'll simply be purified and transformed into a real person. Like Pinocchio to a real boy. And we were all made for that. But there's only one way. It's not that he's angry. We're the ones angry. And here's why. Because we're wrestlers. That's why. Remember, the wrestlers have to be angry. All right, I'm going to get you, buff the stuff. You know, and they're doing this number, right? Doing all their acting. It's not, hi, how you doing? Let's sit down and have some tea. No, they're about to fight. And that's who we are by nature. We're fighting against God. Have you, have you felt this? This internal struggle? This is not the only time the Bible mentions it, is it? So the laws are given to allow us to live with God. Allow us to live in His presence. Maybe to shift the metaphor just a bit, it's like trying to play a game. The game of life without any rules would be impossible. There would just be arguing going on. And I hate arguing. Don't you? Let me, let me, let me rephrase that. I actually do enjoy a good argument. I hate to hear kids arguing about games. Let me put that that way. Anybody with me on that? Have you ever heard kids arguing about just... I mean, it just... I don't know. I want to I wanna just... My head wants to blow up. I don't even know what to do in those moments. And I hear them out there, it's gaga ball and this is... And we change the rules and da da and, ru-. and I thought to myself, yeah. When we have rules written down, we can finally play baseball. We can finally play gaga ball or golf or football, or insert your own favorite sport. But without rules, we can't even play. It's no fun. God gives us rules to play by. 
the Old Testament reason maybe it's so long is because it's the small writing. It's the details, right? We get the beautiful big picture in the New Testament. Just wait for it. But we've got to get through and understand fundamentally how things should operate. But we have no idea how to play the game. We're just going to be arguing and angry. And that's no way to live life. I got a new uh, air gun. Is that what you call them? Nail, uh, uh, what do you call them? Nail? Staple nail gun. It does both. And I I tried to just do it. You know, I hooked it up and everything. I'm like, and then I'm like, surely you pushed it. I finally read, and you got to press it first, then you pull the trigger. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Not if I didn't read the directions. It just creates frustration. Some of you are very frustrated in life. You really don't know what's going on. You don't really know what you should be about. Guess what? You probably haven't read the instructions. They're here. Even in the Old Testament, they are here. The more I read the Bible, the more clear it becomes. You'll never gain clarity if you don't start somewhere. God is preparing Israel, this wrestling nation, for one day when he sends the end game, Jesus, his son. But he's got to prepare the way. I mean, after all, with kids, right or wrong, you don't just put them behind the seat and give them the keys. I mean, I'm actually teaching Jackson to drive right now. And he's only, what, 12? No, he's not actually driving my truck or our tour bus. But instead, as I'm driving and he's in the seat beside me, I say, son, do you know why there are yellow lines and white lines? Do you know what happens when you're coming on to traffic and they have their lights on where you look? And in the most important rule of driving, stay out of the left lane unless you're passing. There creates a lot of frustration, doesn't it, when we don't follow the rules. But if we don't know the rules, it is our responsibility to begin to ask God, teach me your way. Isn't this our approach? Shouldn't this be our approach? Teach me. I don't understand. Look, I'm telling you, I don't understand everything in here. But teach me your ways, Lord. I don't, ever, I don't understand everything there is to know about Jessica. But that's a good thing. That's what makes our relationship interesting is I don't know everything about her. She doesn't understand everything about me. But guess what? I'm in it for the long game with her. I'm not going anywhere. Don't commit adultery with God, with the things of this world. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. There's no other lover of your soul than him. Well, as I'm saying here in Parenting 101, you don't just put them behind the seat without preparation. And God takes a long time to prepare His special people for the coming of His Son. And they miss Him. And God has been preparing in your life the coming of His Son to your temple. And some of us have missed Him. Don't miss him today.
You've heard the word of life today. You've heard the plan of God's salvation, a crazy plan to use old people, to use murderers, to use adulterers, to use people like you, people like me. And thanks be to God that he includes us all in his plan, not just the elite, but all of us. He says, come into the ring. Let's wrestle a little bit. This is going to be fun. And it will be if we wrestle for the right reasons. And that is the death of self to live to God. I want to tap out, don't you? Uncle, say uncle. You know what I mean? To Jesus and his way, not to my way. Have you heard God's call? Have you answered? Are you in the way? (laughs) Are you on the way with Jesus? Do you know him as king, father, husband? Let's start living as if the NWO, the new world order, is already in play. Because guess what? When we get to the New Testament, Jesus will tell us that the kingdom has come. The new world order has been injected into our world and there is a rebellion that is on the right side of things. That is the church. Our king has landed. As C.S. Lewis said, landed in disguise. And he's gathering up his army. And every week we come to church and we listen to the intel from the king, the commander of the Lord's host. And then we go out and accomplish his mission in the world. That's what we're doing. It's what he's called us to do. It's what he's called you to do, to be on mission with him. For one day, there's going to be a new Israel, a new heaven and earth, a new creation, the scripture says, a new and resurrected body. Praise be to God, we come back to that fundamental thing that if we confess our sins, my name is, then he will change our name, make us his child and redeem us and call us to himself and raise us up at the last day. For he has defeated death. Today, if you're wrestling with God, surrender. Surrender to all of his goodness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.